listeners, and welcome back to This Week in Black History, Society, and Culture, a podcast of the Black and African Diaspora Forum of Lockheed University. I'm Hedy B. Williams, your host. Today on This Week in Black History, Society, and Culture, we have Dr. Karanja Kita Carroll, a lecturer of Black and Latino Studies at Baruch College. Welcome to the show, Professor. Good morning, good morning. It's good to have you here, you know, um, to discuss this topic of uh, Black men and policing, and especially in light of events in uh, Memphis and uh, involving the young man, Mr. Nichols, and how he was treated. Now, I want to know your personal perspective on this too, not just from a scholarly perspective, because obviously a lot of a lot of black men and women out there are hurting over this incident. But let's first discuss a little bit of your own background, your own journey, your own academic uh, journey. Tell us a little bit about your teaching background, research interests, maybe even approach to teaching. All right. Um, as you stated, I'm a lecturer of Black and Latinx studies at Baruch College. Um, I teach classes primarily within the Black and Africana Studies um, component. Uh, I teach classes around racism, Black political theory. Um, also teach classes around uh, African religion and traditional African approaches to reality. Um, this semester, I'm actually um, teaching a seminar um, the Capstone Seminar, which we're looking at Black and Brown community organizing, and the focus is on um, the Black Panthers and the Young Lords. Um, so I, you know, teach, love teaching, love doing the work in the classroom, but I'm also an organizer. You know, I'm a, um organizer with the Malcolm X Grassroots Movement, along with the Black Alliance for Peace, the Northeast Political Prisoner Coalition, and the MAPSO Freedom School, which is a freedom school program that's run out of um, Maplewood, South Orange, New Jersey. So I love my work in the classroom, but I also think it's essential to, to, to be connected to things that are going on on the ground with our people. That's the very basis of the, the Black Studies tradition, the connect, connecting the campus to the community. Um, you were asking about my teaching and I've explained to you what I taught, but maybe I'll go a little into like my approach. Um, I, I, you know, I enjoy trying to, to, to have open, direct and clear conversations with my students. Like, you know, I try to ground all of my classes, obviously within text, but we use the text as a, as a, um, as a launch pad to, to, to move into making connections with our personal experience. I tell my students all the time, the only difference between me and them is that I might've read a little more than them, but their experience is valid and they need to be able to connect their experience to the other experiences of, of, of other people that they've read so that they can understand their realities are, are, are important points of reference, but you just need some data, you know, that might come from someone else in order to back up your, your arguments. Um, it's the start of a new semester, so it's just interesting trying to get a new group of students back to to, to where I had my students last semester. Um, so, so that that's all I'll say about my teaching for now. No, I I want you to say some more about your approach and maybe the the Black Studies approach and or practice <clears throat> okay. when it comes to teaching in terms of also how uh, we look at not only teaching, but teachers mm. and intellectuals mm. and the black studies tradition. Cause I think maybe some people in our audience are not familiar with that. Yeah, so like, you don't mind, you know, black studies, you know, comes out of a unique um, intellectual tradition that goes back way before 1968 at San Francisco state college. But what happened at San Francisco state college with Nathan Hare and those students who pushed for um, black studies was that you had this, mission of having black faculty who were connected to black students and trying to motivate those black students to return to their communities and think about um, change. And that's the tradition that I was trained in. I have my PhD and master's degree from Temple University, which is the first um, PhD granting uh, African-American studies degree program within 
um, the, the the nation, and that intellectual tra- um, foundation um, is is what I come come up out of. So for me, it's always about how do I make these connections between my students, and how do I motivate them to to, to realize that they have a responsibility to attempt to transform the world, um, attempt to transform their communities, attempt to transform the people that they interact with on a daily basis, their families, their lovers, um, their friends, whomever, whoever they may be. That is the very foundation. Now, I um, label myself as an African-centered social theorist. So what I do is I root my approach to teaching within what's known as the African worldview. The African worldview is a conceptual framework that's based upon a set of philosophical assumptions that that assumes that the universe is interrelated and interconnected, that it's about person-to-person relationships, that you can know beyond the five senses, and that the reality is 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 immaterial and material manifesting as one. So those ideas are what surround me when I move into the classroom. I start my classes usually every class with music. Um, I think it's important to use art as a way to get my students to 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 think critically about the things that they pull into their system. So you know, we start with music. Um, I ask them to think about the lyrics. You know, analyze these lyrics. How are these lyrics um, relevant to anything going on in your life? But then also, how are these lyrics relevant? to um, 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 what we're talking about today. So on Tuesday, um, I played a song from a group called Salt. And the, um, the, the, the song is Little Boy. And Little Boy um, talks about, like, you know, the fact that we have young Black boys growing up and we need to teach them about the police. We need to teach them, you know, um, about, about um, the relationship between, between us and, and 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 the boys in blue or the men in blue. Um and we use that to to help guide our discussion um uh for 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 the day. So by bringing music in um that allows for me to attempt to create community because everyone is hearing the music and by them hearing the music everyone's reflecting upon the lyrics and then we all begin to share our interpretation of how those lyrics are relevant to whatever we're talking about. Um, so that's my approach um, to, 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 to teaching grounded in the Black Studies tradition, connected to this African-centered found foundation. Um, it's, it's what I what I do and what I love to do. I mean, I, I love the ability to um, have my students think critically about every single thing around them. And the music stuff is just amazing because students will like, leave and they'll be like, you've introduced me to a whole new world of music. And it's not like I'm just playing for them only conscious music, but I am trying to like let them know that they should be mindful of the stuff that they listen to because it has a way of, you know, transforming and, and shaping how you see reality. Sure. I want to get back to some of the different organizations you mentioned, because they obviously connect to our conversation today. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the Malcolm X um, grassroots organization that you mentioned. And they work that they do in collecting data on, you know, police uh, brutality. Like they've played a role in collecting some of the data because it's not known, right, how many people are are brutalized. They don't, you know, the police departments don't really routinely keep that data, so haven't they done some work in trying to to get numbers and information on the number of African Americans and African American men in particular yeah. that have been killed by police? Yes, the um Malcolm X grassroots movement. Um I just tell you a little bit about um what what we do and who we are, and then I'll talk briefly about the report that you're referring to. Um the Malcolm X Grassroots Movement, we're an organization of new Africans whose mission is to defend the human rights of our people and promote self-determination in our um, communities. There's a number of principles that we are focused on. 
Um, and the number one principle is that we actively support and struggle to defend the human rights of Africans in the U.S. and around the world. Number two, we demand reparations or repayment for 400 years of slavery, colonialism, oppression of our people in the United States of America. Number three, we promote self-determination and must organize for the liberation of the African nation held colonized in the United States. Number six, we oppose genocide or the accepted, acceptable and calculatable killing of our people by individuals, institutions, and organizations of the United States government through lynching, disease, police terror, and any other means. Um, five, we demand the release of activists who have been imprisoned because of their commitment to seeking human rights and liberation for our people. These brothers and sisters are political prisoners and prisoners of war, and they should be recognized. And the sixth principle is that we actively struggle to end sexist oppression. We pose any form of oppression that limits women from reaching their fullest potential as manifested in our cultural, economic, political, and social institutions, practices, and beliefs. We actively oppose those beliefs, ideas, terms, etc., that limit the human worth of women and, and contribute to violations against women. Um, and that sixth principle um, is going to be, be expanded um, very soon. Uh, but the point of, of me going through the principles is for you to understand um, the very nature of what MXGM is concerned with. And our concern is the the human rights of, of African people in the United States, who we refer to as new African people. Um, and a few years ago, we published a report um, entitled Every 28 Hours. And within that, within that report, it outlined um, the statistics on police uh, um, killing, taking place within the United States. Um, and the report is extremely important in that, it, like you said, it includes the stats um, that are so important for us to utilize. But I believe that we probably need to be revisiting that um, report. Yeah, I think, you know, the work that they do is so important. Another question I have for you, you said there's an activist tradition, obviously, tied to Black studies and the development of uh, Black studies as a discipline. Do you encourage your students to, to be activists, to, to kind of go out there and um, rally against injustice? Is that a part of the praxis um, uh, so that you... I think, you know, for me what I do is let the students know what I do. And if they choose to do that, then, you know, um, that's, that's on them. And I misspoke on the title of the report. The report is every 36 hours. Um, but you know, I, I, I really, um, believe that the, my students and our, and our students for that matter, when they see us doing particular things that, motivate them, they're going to do that as well. So I don't necessarily say, well, you know, you need to be an activist, you need to be doing this. But I talk to them about what I do. You know, mm. you know, I talk to them about the conversations that I have. I talk to them about the, the people that I've, that I've met along my, you know, journey of, you know, a scholar um, and, and an activist and an organizer. You know, I was just telling somebody, like, when I was a, gra a graduate student at Temple University, my goal was to, you know, do this straight up scholarship thing. And somewhere along the line, you know, I was reminded of those words of Du Bois. And, and Du Bois was, was clear that, like, you know, that, you know, we need scholarship, but we also need activists and organizers who are, you know, connected to a particular ideology of liberation. And that is when my my work attempted to balance out between, you know, the publications and the work that I try to do um, organizing our people around the, the, the stuff that we go through. And we know, as uh, many have experienced, that to be an activist and intellectual inside of the academy can get us in trouble, mm -hmm. right? Because it's, you know, whether you're out on social media or you're out in the streets, you know, it, it could create because the academy is very conservative. Yes. I mean, I always say it functions like a medieval guild. <laughs> I mean, listen, we like higher education, you know, is 
here to create the next generation of, you know, workers and not necessarily intellectuals, you know, right, um, right. and and not necessarily critical thinkers, you know. And when you recognize that, you have to realize, like, what role are you going to play within this process? Are you going to, like, continue to, to pump out folks that aren't thinking critically? Or are you going to try to contribute to developing a body of students and graduates who are asking the important questions and then also pushing, you know, the people that they are interacting with to go beyond the, the, the norms that are that are given. Um, definitely then higher education is a conservative um, infrastructure. But like Black studies and Latinx studies and, and all of these academic disciplines that, that came into higher education in the 1960s and beyond are there to like ruffle things up. The issue is that sometimes that ruffling up doesn't do anything. Like sometimes we can find the most conservative, most right wing approaches that come out of people that are supposedly a part of black studies. And, you know, it's again, like my training was, was, was not about that. My training was like, listen, we're here to, 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 to rough things up and, and, and cause, some trouble because the institution in and of itself is, 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 is the problem. Yeah. I think um, now that we, we can kind of turn more specifically to our topic, but when the events that took place in Memphis involving Tyree Nichols and, you know, many people said, Hey, these are black cops, you know, um, it's not about race and it's not about this. I actually thought about black intellectuals in the academy. Mm. It did, I that's the thing that you especially on higher education in particular institutions and how they behave and claim to say, "Hey, I don't have tenure yet and as soon as I get that tenure, I'm going to be the act- activist <laughs> up in here." <laughs> it, it's not. So I thought about that and I said, this is the, these black cops, you know, you have them in other professions, yep. the same type yep. of people. Yeah. 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 That, that's, 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 that's interesting. You know, um, yeah, th- listen, we live under white supremacy. Um, that means that white supremacy shapes everything that we do. Um, it shapes how we, you know, determine our existence in relation to one another. It determines how we we, we think about and, and and define what is success. So whether we're looking at, you know, black intellectuals in higher education who are buying into definitions of what it means to be a scholar, you know, what it means to to to, to publish in particular areas versus other areas you know, the validity of one academic journal over and all those, all that stuff is informed by a white intellectual tradition. And, mm-hmm. you know, when we don't push back against it, then, you know, problems, problems arise. Like, you know, I've tried um, with my publications to intentionally publish them within black academic venues, specifically like, you know, Western Journal of Black Studies, um, Journal of African-American Studies um, and other other particular journals that, that, that are in existence. That's intentional, okay? Because I'm not looking to some traditional white, super high-tiered journal to define my work. Now, that impacted me in some points uh, along my academic journal because people questioned the validity of, of, of what For I was sure. publishing and where I was publishing it. But it's not about, that was about me publishing work for my people and, and also it was also about publishing work and stuff that was like, you know, clearly accessible. The work that I did with the Journal of Pan-African Studies years ago um, was extremely important because it was open access. Anyone can go on Google and type in some keywords and come across our work. That was intentional. And I think that like, you know, when you're thinking like that, when you're trying to to, to be mindful of, of, of doing your work within that vein, you're thinking about more than your 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 individual self. You're thinking about how this stuff is impacting and accessible to the community. Um and you know, when you you 
go from what academics do um, within the context of white supremacy to move to what these police officers are doing in the context of white supremacy. Arguably, it's it's it's, it's related. Like the the institution of policing, we know, is clearly develops out of you know slave patrols, but at a much deeper level, contemporary police are trained in the context of white supremacy as well. And therefore, they are able to see people that look like them as threats because that's the very nature of white supremacy. White supremacy is structured to see black and brown people as threats and therefore their lives are not valued and so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. I, I, I totally um, see the parallels between the two. I mean, the academy is a plantation. I mean, nobody really wants, I mean, it is. And so it's like, like you said, you have to publish in certain journals. If you publish in, you know, a black owned or operated journal, then it's, it's held up to scrutiny. What's happening in Florida? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the, the whole situation in Florida um, around the African-American studies curriculum and determining like, you know, who can be a part of it? I saw some some tweet um, within the last probably forty eight hours of somebody um, going through all these people who were taken out of you know that AP um, curriculum, folks that are like foundational to, to for us to think critically about you know African American studies in the Black intellectual tradition. But you know it's it, that's intentional. Wipe these people out. Um, mm-hmm, exactly. But, but so, but th- there's two components to this. On one hand, it's like, all right, you're taking these people out because they represent A, B, C, or D. But the other side is like, you know, we have a responsibility to be educating our own people and not trusting these institutions to be doing to to do that stuff for us. That's right. one level. All right. But the other level is that part of that AP African American Studies things is about trying to get non-black people to know this stuff. And how are they going to know this if they are not, you know, participating in these actual structures? So there, there's two levels to this. But the 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 the, the other thing with the, the the Florida craziness is that, like, you know, you just have people who love this white historical narrative so much that anything that, you know, gives it a little bit of color, they just ready to get, get rid of, um, you know, in my, so this, every semester I usually teach a, um, a racism class, um, evolution expressions of racism. And, you know, when we get towards the middle end of the semester, we talk about a real quick section on the rise of black studies, black and Latino studies. And I connect that to the resistance that came about with the rise of Black studies and similar types of resistance today around critical race theory and now resistance around this um, the, the, this African-American studies um, curriculum. And the, the crazy thing is that, like, every time that, you know, folks of color, Black folks, New African people in particular, try to center their historical and cultural experience, there's always some European who's like, nah, I'm not trying to have you do that. And the question is, like, why? <laughs> why? Why? And we know why, because the more that we center the experiences of non-white people, we can actually realize the importance of the experiences of people of color to humanity. And that's really mm-hmm. what, what, what this thing is about. Um, sure. It's, it's like if we can, you know, continue with the narrative that these people are inferior and unintellectual and below us then we can have the game going. And the game is that Europeans are intellectually and culturally superior. But the reality is that everyone has made significant contributions. And some of the contributions that are floating around as if they came from European peoples are actually contributions that are rooted within the Black and African intellectual tradition. Hmm. It's about erasure and evisceration. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and on the one hand, these these cops have eviscerated that man's life, where the governor of Florida is trying to erase and eviscerate, you know, our history from the public record. It's mm-hmm. these are parallels; these two things happening at once that are, are uh, interrelated. And something else that you said is so important: our humanity mm-hmm. is to be found in our history, and our culture, and our stories. Mm-hmm. 
So if you allow these these voices to come in, you know, it's actually saying, hey, these folks are human too. And the, 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 they don't want that. The funny thing that I, I didn't even think about until we're having this conversation is that all this stuff is taking place, like the conversations around the African-American studies AP stuff started earlier, but we're, we're having these heated conversations in the month of February. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we think about what Carter G. Woodson was 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 so committed to and concerned with, and we have the evidence of why it's so important with the crap that's going on in, in, in Florida around this curriculum. It's it's just it's just amazing. Woodson was like very clear, like we are you you have to study your own history. You know, you you're the ones who are going to be making these contributions and highlighting the contributions and determining that narrative. No one else. And the the moment that we have people denying and and and, and saying, well, you can talk about this component of your history. It's like, no, we need to understand the whole, the whole, right. the, the whole narrative. And, you know, by understanding the whole narrative, then we can determine the points that we want to ride with, as opposed to giving you this very limited, limited view. Um, but the, it's, it's, it's that constant struggle, you know, it's the constant struggle that we experience as people of African descent that we experience um, as, you know, you know, intellectuals who are doing, doing this, doing this work. I want to turn more closely to this discussion of uh, black men, masculinity and policing. Uh, This is slightly off topic, but it does relate to our conversation. I think Mm -hmm. I've been watching. So the Super Bowl is coming up. (laughs) (laughs) And so I've been watching all of, all of the commentary and you have, um, this is the first time that two black quarterbacks are going to be leading the teams in the Super Bowl. Mm. So there was, a, I forget who wrote this article, but it was about the black quarterbacks and their fathers and how their fathers were present in their lives and raised these two men. And the, the article was centering, you know, black fatherhood mm-hmm. through the story of these two quarterbacks. Mm. And, all of a sudden, I see this 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 um, this essay or commentary about the two white players who are brothers, the Kelsey brothers, mm-hmm. who are each on on each team, and everybody's now making a big deal. Oh, you have two brothers; it's the first time these two brothers are on opposite team, and it totally. Why aren't we talking about the quarterbacks? Mm-hmm. Right? The team leader. Right, right, right. And black fatherhood. It like it disappeared. There was like one article about black fatherhood and these two young men. Yeah. I, We're not really talking about that. We're talking about the Kelsey brothers. Yeah, l- listen. So 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 I don't follow football. I, I don't get down with 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 that sport, I don't really get down with that many sports, but um, I will say that it's about controlling a narrative, all right. And the narrative around the Super Bowl can be: look, we have these two black quarterbacks. Look, they were raised by black men. Look, like all that stuff. But that is not the narrative that people want to construct about black men, about black fathers, so forth and so on. And because that's not the narrative they want to construct, it can be thrown out, but they're going to pivot to this other stuff. And the other mm-hmm. stuff can be about these two, you know, white brothers and blah, 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 blah. Um, but that's, again, I mean, I, I think that, that that's the beauty of, like, black intellectuals because we have the ability to say, hold up, no, we're bringing this back. All right? We're going to bring this back to... um we're going to bring this back to to uh, like these experiences of these brothers. I'm mean, not these brothers, but these 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 two black quarterbacks. And by centering them, we can hopefully control the dialogue. That's I think that is one of the the many um, lessons that I that I got from Temple University was that like how do we control the 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 dialogue and we control by using our voices to speak truth to power. And this moment that people want to pivot on some other stuff, we pull it right back because by pulling it back, we are trying to maintain some level of control. Mm. Sure. Indeed. It was, it was, it was, 
Definitely the only article that centered their fathers and black fathers. Mm-hmm. That that I haven't seen any other article that do, has done that. Although there are a few things out there about uh, black quarterbacks, right? Right, right. There wasn't you know big conversation about black fatherhood and models of masculinity. It's it's it's, it's about the narrative and the counter narrative. The, the narrative that we want that they want to give is black fathers are not around. They. They, they're not supportive. They don't do this. They don't all the, all these things. And then here's an article that counters that. Okay. And of course, if it counters it for us as black folks, it's like, yes, this is like, we know that these fathers exist. All right. We've seen them. We've had them either in our families or they're connected to friends of our families. We know that they exist. And then the other thing is, all right, well, let's just push this dialogue to the side and move it on to the white brothers. Um, But Again, it's the, the, the beauty of our, of our work. We have the ability to say, hold up, no, we're going to turn it back and, and, and figure out why. Why is it important that we highlight these two quarterbacks, okay? And why is it important to highlight the fact that they were raised by two by, by Black men? Mm. It'll be interesting what sports center. What are they saying on sports center? But, but let me I'm say, thinking of Stephen A. Listen. <laughs> So the crazy thing is that when I go to the barber, like my 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 barber, um, he he will well they'll have the sports stuff playing in there. So like that's the only time that I really like get like some serious like discussion and analysis, and it's just hilarious because you're right, Stephen A. A. will come on and say some foolishness. It's like, <laughs> bruh, just stop it. But you know that's all that that's that's all show. But I think that 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 those types of discussions from people like Stephen A, allow for people who are not connected to the television, but who are sitting in the barbershop to have serious conversations. Because I'll be honest, when I'm at the, at the barber, I have some really good conversations with between my barber and with the other customers. Like, we hear some foolishness on, on there, and then we have a conversation. We take it to where where we want it to go, because we know Stephen A ain't going to take it where we want it to go. Right. Sure. So let's turn to the the events of Memphis. What? How do I want to? And I want to know your personal uh, experience because uh, as soon as the ta- the um, video was revealed, which I didn't watch, and I will never watch. What? You know, I started to reach out to my African American uh, friends who were men, and just ask them how they were doing. To my good friends known for years. I'd never seen these brothers cry before, mm. just broke down. Mm. So I want to know how you, how these events impacted you. I want to know a personal, you can give me the, your scholarly spin too, but as a black man living in America, knowing that, that was it four or five black officers mm-hmm. did this to another black man. So I, I, I'm with you. I didn't watch the, um, um, I didn't watch the, 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 the video, um, and I don't, I don't know where I, where I was or what I had read, but someone is saying like we should just need to be mindful of the, the trauma that we impose upon ourselves by knowingly and willingly watching the um, the, the murder of, of of our people. And I didn't watch um, that video. I've watched some of the other ones, but I didn't watch watch this one. Um, so that's my. That's my initial r- response. The other response is that why are we surprised? <laughs> like, come on! Like, I, I, I mean, I wasn't surprised. Um, like I said earlier on, like you know, the the policing is rooted within white supremacy, and if it's rooted within the white supremacist culture, then these police officers who are black are deve- are acting within that particular um, context. It's about power and it's about how folks utilize power in ways that are um, self-destructive, not self-destructive, but d- destructive, um, but it is self-destructive. You know, Amos Wilson would, would, would clearly tell us that that is, um, you know, self-destruction. But it's, it's just... That that's so that's my thing. I'm like I'm not surprised. I'm not like in 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 in, in shock. You know you know we need more data um, that that speaks to the, the 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 fact of you know black police officers and other police officers of color working um, in the working to advance white supremacy, um, which is 
which is what this really um, comes comes down to for me. But I was not surprised, um, and you know, I've been trying to, to 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 talk to the people around me and try to get a grasp of why they would be um, shocked by 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 what happened. I think these are things that we 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 know. the The, the only the only difference is that we have the data with the tape, and that's the 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 when we think about you know the relationship between the police as an institution and black folks we have more and more evidence because of these cameras because of all of the cameras that are found everywhere whether on a phone or in somebody's car or in somebody's surveillance you know some security cameras all the things because we have access to this stuff we then can be like listen we've said this was the case and now you have the evidence. You should not be surprised. I wasn't. I wasn't surprised. And the fact that these were four black officers, no, not surprised at all. So, what do you say to people who come up to you and say, "Well, it, the officers were black. It's not about race." So, I was, you know, a couple of people have come out and said that, and I'm like, "Wait a minute." I I I, I tell them. I tell them that it's very clear that it, that it's about race. It's about anti-blackness. It's about anti-black racism. It's about the internalizing of 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 of, of white supremacist notions of power. Okay, and determining who you can impose your 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 will on and use your power uh, against. You know, I want to see the the videos of the officers going to town on some white boys. Okay, and we ain't going to see those because that is a racial dynamic that is fundamentally connected to power. And, you know, when we when we have the 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 data that says that we've got black officers that are going against black people and black officers that are going against white folks and it pairs up, maybe I might be like, oh, this is not about race. But until we see that, it's clearly about internalized Racism, internalized white supremacy, and anti-blackness that's found amongst black folks. Right. I mean, the point is, living in a, a white supremacist system like this, right? You can't, you can't avoid, you can't avoid it. Like you, you have to consciously and intentionally work against it. You know, it goes, it goes back to to to, to what we were saying previously about scholarship. When you are intentionally doing things and placing them within particular places, that's a conscious decision. Um, these, these these folks are are, are 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 you know moving from a playbook um, that is grounded and rooted in white supremacy, is connected to their training, is connected to how they see you know who a quote unquote you know um, suspect is and who someone who who's someone that can that they can, you know, release all of their ugliness upon. So when we're talking about uh, black people or black officers internalizing anti-black hatred, mm-hmm. is the correct word to use for them is to call them racist? Can black people be racist? No, nah, I, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't buy that. You know, I I I'm come from the the, the Kwame Ture um, school of, of of thought. Racism um, is fundamentally about power and your connection to power. And part of that relationship to power is connected to the fact that you are white and that you got you know white skin and your 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 skin color is a determining of access to power. So like. Black folks and black police officers in particular might have power, but they have power that is contingent upon white folks' power, meaning that like white people are still determining the rules of engagement. They're determining the, the, the power relations. You just happen to slip in and attempt to, you know, follow along. The same thing, you know, that was my it was my position on, you know, Barack Obama is my position now. On you know Hakeem Jeffries, these ain't nothing but people who look like us who are using the white supremacist power structure to act as if they you know 
are, are to act as if they have power when they actually don't, because their power is contingent upon the white supremacist structure. Mm. So I, I don't I don't see it as, you know, people of color can be racist. I don't see it as black people can be racist. Racism is fundamentally connected to white people and the system that they have actually constructed, which places them at the center. And therefore, the people at the center are the only ones who can be racist. So do you so you make a delineation between racist and prejudice or racism oh, yeah, and yeah, prejudice? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I make the argument that you know anyone can be prejudiced, anyone can can discriminate, but it's different, very, very different for me um, for to say that anyone can be racist because of power, because of the relationship between skin color, power, structural, institutional. Um, 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 power that that exists so it's not it's not as simple as oh well you know you you know you you're a person of color who doesn't want another person of color to have access to something no it's not that simple because that same person of color can go elsewhere or could potentially go elsewhere and have access to whatever um and i think that it's important to make those distinctions because like white supremacy needs everyone to be racist because if everyone is racist then it doesn't speak to the unique experiences that develop from the position of the racist and from the unique realities that are constructed and placed upon victims of racism. But if we say everyone can be racist, then there's no distinction. The, 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 you know, it's like, yeah, you know, somebody called me a name. It's like, no, it's not as simple as someone calling you a name. It's about the fact that someone can call you a name and then have a legal system that says it's okay to call you a name because it's free speech. Right. Yeah, sure. Systems of power yep. and inequality. Yep. That, that particular term is tied to systems of power and uh, inequality. There's some folks out there who's making a con- who are making a contrary oh, I argument. I, I know. I, 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 I know. I'm aware of them. Who shall remain, you know, nameless? Remain nameless. Yeah. One in particular. Yeah. I, listen. I um. Listen. It, it, it is what it is. That's that is all I'll say. I, I know that mm-hmm. I have my position, which is grounded in a body of literature that I have I, I have read and that I use as a foundation, and. Other people want to attempt to make novel arguments because for one, for a variety of reasons, they want to make novel arguments and they can do it, but I won't. And I won't co-sign them either. <laughs> How to be an anti-racist. That is that all I'm book. saying. <laughs> <laughs> the book, I think it's chapter two. Was it chapter two? I can't remember what chapter, but. Yeah, that's always um, comes up, yeah, right? But when you it, see these things. It, but the, the, so this is the the thing, and like you know, um, I'm not naming names because because I, <laughs> I I went to graduate school with the brother, okay? Um, and as a matter of fact, I literally saw him two days ago. I'm coming to campus, and I, I seen the brother in um in in in, uh, in Penn Station, and you know, we talked for a quick second. I was like, listen, I gotta I gotta get to campus. So like people who are going to do what they need to do. But I just know that my intellectual tradition, I can't do it. And that's, that, that's all I will say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's good to get, see, this is why I like the, the podcast genre. Cause we can, we can talk about these uh, issues and um, we can easily make this available, right. To, to people who want to know the difference between racism and prejudice and, and, and this, recent uh incident uh why do you suppose any black man would want to be a cop in america i mean again i'm asking you kind of you know give us your personal perspective i think that men in general look to say the military and the police as masculinity making Mm -hmm. opportunities Mm -hmm. but why would any black man want to be a cop in america so listen um I, I'm, there, there's a variety of ways to approach answering this question, but the most basic thing is like you know, like I said before, um, this connection to 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 power on one hand. I'm gonna throw out three three options: power, 
power and power. (laughs) (laughs) And And what I mean by that is like, you know, the requirements to become a police officer are not like extremely rigorous. Okay. What is it? Some, 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 some places it's a few academic credits, um, higher education credits. Some places it's an associate's degree. So we're starting like, 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 like there. All right. The um, second thing is by having that, you then have access to a salary with benefits and all those other types of things that again, give you some sense of stability um, and then we have to deal with the fact that there's some people who decide to be police officers because they were bullied as young people and their attempt to become a police officer about them trying to regain power. So when I talk about mm. power, I'm talking about the financial power. I'm talking about power as in like over other people, but also power in the sense of like, you know, a sense of self um, that, 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 that comes, but, I just, I don't understand it. Um, I, 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 I think that when you understand the history of policing within this nation, you have to, to, to question um, your place and your relationship to it. But, um, you know, that, that, that's, that's not what people are thinking. People, some folks are thinking about surviving. And if, they're thinking, mm-hmm. and if they're thinking about surviving, maybe becoming a police officer is an easy route to do it. Um, I just know that there's a little bit of risk in giving your life that I ain't, I'm not about that. And I don't understand how anybody could, could be, could be, could be about that. I mean, but the crazy thing is at the end of the day, I don't think that we need police, you know, I don't think that's my next question. Tell us about it. It's like, police aren't necessary. Police are not necessary when we live in a society that provides um, the, 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 the necessary steps and components of, of 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 a, of a good life, and I'm not saying that you know we are, that that there, there's this fictitious land where there is no crime and there is no there those things don't exist. But the fact that we have so many police officers and and they do things that are they're I, I like the major means of interaction that the majority of people have with police is for traffic infractions. Okay? And those traffic infractions then lead to a whole bunch of other things all the way up to death. And we mm-hmm. don't need police op- like it's, it's we don't need police officers to be stopping people for traffic infractions, all right? And maybe, you know, um if we begin to think about the places where we can cut back on police officers, we're talking about traffic infractions. We're talking about calling police when you should be calling um uh, 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 mental health specialists. We have all of these different scenarios in which we do not need to be calling the police, but yet that's the only number that we utilize. And this is what happens. And the argument for me is that, hey, when we have the other institutions, we have the other structures, we don't need to call police. And once we realize that we don't need to call police, we can actually rethink the ne- the, the necessity of police altogether. So are you telling me that the police should be abolished? Yeah, we don't need them. <laughs> you know, the, the, my, my my position is is yeah, they that 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 they should be abolished and it, it's a, a a process of rethinking society without police officers. So what do we do for instance with people who clearly have psychological issues might be a psychopath like a Dahmer? Jeffrey Dahmer. What do we do with him? Um, Where does he go? So, you know, my, my, my initial response is I don't have the answer to everything. That's my initial response. <laughs> but I, no, 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 because I, I, but I will say that there's, it's obvious that there are people who um, have issues that are not merely just like, social. You know, they are issues that are connected to psychological, chemical imbalance, all those types of things that are neurological. And we need to be able to to, to, to find places 
where they can exist and, and, and live their lives and they're not a, a threat to other people. I just don't know if um, housing them in places that make them more jacked up is the answer. Um, and mm-hmm. from, from, the, from the work that I've done within correctional institutions, um, I know that there's a, too many people who are who might need to be in these places, but there are also too many people who don't need to be there. And when they mix, it causes more problems. Because mm. I think with, you know, I didn't watch that miniseries that everybody's watching with Jeffrey Dahmer. I ain't watched it either. But- I don't. <laughs> I'm not watching that. That's and I I'm very skeptical about anybody who would want to watch it too. But if I recall he was you know, he didn't get an insanity you know, reason of insanity. He was sentenced to I think 100 years if I recall and then he gets killed in prison. Mm-hmm. So um if we don't send him to a prison it, there are several things, right, which is out of the realm of our expertise. I mean, it falls in the realm of psychology. Right. But where do we send him? Do we send him to a mental hospital for life? Or do we, can he be a productive, you know, citizen? I mean, like, can he be rehabilitated? Like like you said, those are questions for, 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 for some other professionals. I'm, right. I'm merely saying that I do not believe that a good portion of people who are locked up need to be locked up. And I, um, I do not believe that, um, some of the people who, who, who have, um, psychological, uh, issues are, are, are actually being helped by right, placing sure. them inside these correctional institutions. Um, mm-hmm. So that that's 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 what it is. But I do think that um, you probably need to have me come back, and we can have a more specific. <laughs> yeah, we can have a follow about, up. We will. Yeah, more specific conversation about abolition. Um, sure, you know that's a whole show in itself. Yeah, 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 I, think. I, I think that that these discussions need to be had, and I think that the questions that you're asking are important questions that everyone is asking because everyone hears the. Here's about abolition. Everyone hears about defunding, and we need to be able to kind of think through the complexities of these these options. But we already know that policing and the jail system within the society that we live in is not um is not helpful for for for, right. for, for us. I mean, yeah. we're talking about black cops going in on this brother, but we're not dealing with the black correctional officers who are doing the same, doing mm-hmm. similar things. You know, and have been historically. Right, I mean, right, right, right. look at the way they beat the civil rights activists it's, in the sixties so, so, and the fifties. Right. So, so, so it's like you know, it, it's again, this these are the realities of living under white supremacy, and this is these yeah. are the realities of quote unquote survival for people who, like I said, for financial reasons, are determining particular careers, and in doing so, are giving, are like destroying themselves. And by them destroying themselves, I'm thinking of us as an saying that we have an extended self. Like this other black person is an extension of me, and I'm gonna sit here and you know go 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 ham on them and and, and take their life out. That's self destruction. Hmm. Well, Professor, I want to thank you. I think we can agree on this, and it kind of ended here. Is uh, the current system is broken? Of course, <laughs> there's, there's, yeah. there's there's no no doubt about that. There's no doubt about that. So I want to thank you for joining me today on the show. Great conversation. Well, I appreciate you. Thank you for the opportunity. I look forward to coming back. Have a good one. You too.